word. Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. While Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, many people rushed to get near him. They wanted to hear the word of God. Jesus saw two boats on the shore. The fishermen were not there because they were washing their nets. Jesus got into a boat which belonged to Simon. Jesus asked him to push it out a little way from land. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, push out into the deep water, let down your nets for some fish. Simon said to him, teacher, we have worked all night and we have caught nothing, but because you told me to, I will let the net down. When they had done this, they caught so many fish, their nets started to break. They called to their friends working in the other boat to come and help them. They came and both boats were so full of fish, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he got down at the feet of Jesus. He said, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. He and all those with him were surprised and wondered about the many fish. James and John, the son of Zebedee, were surprised too. They were working together with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. When they came to the land with their boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right. All right. Thanks for being here this morning. It's a good day. It's a good day. So uh, I just wanted to echo a few things that Ashley said earlier. Um, Once again, Harvest Fest is in two weeks. This has been such an incredible event for us. Last year, we had like 500 people come through, uh, go to our trick-or-treating stops and uh, not our trick, our trunk or treating stops. You got to get that correct. Um, And it was just a wonderful day. And so if you haven't served at Harvest Fest before, we just want to encourage you that it's a great opportunity. And if you have... Well, if you, then if you know, you know, so it's good. Uh, and then the second thing I just want to say, echo what Ashley said, is we do have baptism in two weeks. Baptism is the external sign of uh, one's coming to faith in Jesus, uh, and we're so excited to baptize a few people in a couple of weeks. If that is not something you've ever done, or if you were baptized as an infant and would like to get rebaptized as an adult, uh, we would love to do that for you. So uh, you can come talk to me after church, or you can sign up at, back at the coffee bar. Both of those would be great. All right? Yeah, you can talk back. It's good. All right. So I grew up in church. I grew up going to church. Shortly after my parents were married, uh, I was born. I'm the firstborn, which makes me the best. They began attending church. Uh, It was just something we did. It was something we always did. I can remember very few Sundays in my life when we weren't at church. This was obviously the late 80s and early 90s when people didn't seem to have quite as much going as people do today. Uh, Both my parents worked, and so we didn't travel that that often. We were in church every single week. And I'm thankful for that upbringing. I really am. The stories of the Bible, the teachings of the scriptures are in some sense kind of deep down in my bones. I'm not very good at citing chapter and verse, actually. If you spend any time with me, you might realize that. I'm not very good at recalling chapter and verse of the Bible. It might have something to do with a little learning disability I have. But the words of scripture just kind of seem to be in me in some sense. And that is due in large part from the gift that my parents gave me of just raising me in and around the scriptures, raising me in and 
and around church. I came to know Jesus at an early age. I don't really remember when I gave my life over to Jesus. I remember the first time I experienced his presence, but I don't remember the first time I committed my life to Jesus. It was this beautiful thing growing up this way. It really and truly was. But for someone my age, which is incredibly young, that's the first thing we need to get. Growing up in an evangelical church meant growing up in American evangelical church culture. And for as much as I loved Jesus and loved my friends within my community, I was always a little unsettled by American evangelical church culture. Does anybody resonate with me here? Do you know what I'm talking about when I say this? There, these were the days of the Christian bookstore. Does anybody remember Mardell? This is before Amazon, I guess. Uh, this is where if you wanted to buy a CD or a book or a gift card or a greeting card or whatever, you went to the Christian bookstore to do it. These don't exist anymore. They are extinct. Um, and in these days, one of the ways, one, some, of, some of the hallmarks of Christian culture were things like uh, veggie tales, right? Does anybody know this? You, if you were a Christian, you had a Veggie Tales in your house. If you were, if you were a Christian, you had kids. You had Veggie Tales. Uh, but I must say, the worst part, the worst part about growing up in American Christian evangelical culture, were the cheesy T-shirts. <laughs> they were horrible. They really were. They're, the one that springs to mind, and I, I was going to throw a photo up, but I forgot. Uh, is the one that, it, ha- it was like the Reese's logo. Have you ever seen this one? There was the Reese's logo, and it's only instead of Reese's, it's Reese's, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups, it said Jesus. And people would wear these around town, <laughs> often. And this was before, you know, this was, the, this was the early to mid-90s when irony was not as strong, right? Now you can kind of wear one of those with a wink and a smirk and, and you know, it, it's ironic. But in those days, it was earnest. It was deeply felt, right? It was not quite, even quite so lighthearted. And, the, and this is real stuff. Now, I don't... I don't really know, and part of the reason I was probably unsettled with this, all of the trappings of American evangelical church culture, was part of the reason it unsettled me is that I wasn't sure if all of the kind of trappings of the culture and all of the things that we did in order to kind of signal that we were a part of American church culture was actually all, when you, when you kind of compressed it all together and you added it all up, actually turned out to equal what it meant to be a follower of Jesus in the world. Does this make sense? I didn't really like watching VeggieTales growing up. I wanted to watch Star Wars and Batman, right? These are what, this is what I wanted to do. The t-shirts freaked me out. But the, the whole point of this walk down memory lane is just to say that I grew up in a time where what it meant to be a Christian, in large part, meant that you kind of, you bought Christian things. You were a part of an economy of Christian things, Uh, And you did all of this in order to kind of avoid the world or the secular world. And what what all this ended up doing was kind of creating what is some people affectionately referred to as the Christian bubble. The Christian bubble. Uh, And this is, uh, growing up in it, it's true. At times, this Christian bubble was a kind of subculture that felt almost hermetically sealed. 
It was like this way that you signaled to the world that you were you and other Christians like you were in fact the good ones and everybody else was kind of not quite so good. And uh, what made me uncomfortable with this was that I just didn't think that uh, everything that kind of was added up into evangelical church culture was actually what it meant to be a Christian. There was something far deeper than de- that, that it meant to be a Christian than just participating in the, in the wider culture that was and the, and the economic culture that sprung up around what it mean, meant to be an evangelical Christian in the late 80s and 90s. Because to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. Not to be one who buys certain things at certain places. Not to be one who wears amazing t-shirts. It is to be a follower of Jesus. It isn't just to avoid the bad stuff and do the right stuff. It is rather to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls his disciples into a kind of radical way of life that is so much more than just kind of an aesthetic. It is something that should capture the whole of a person. It, was about the whole, it is about the whole way that we live. Jesus, in other words, invites us out of our Christian bubbles and into the world as his followers. Not as people who signal to the world that we, are, that we are his by virtue of some of the things we do or don't do, but rather by virtue of the entire orientation of our lives, pointing to the person of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple, and this is why we're embarking on a series for the next three weeks that we just call Follow, which is an exploration of this idea of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in a deeper sense. Now, the word disciple, the word that we, we hear of disciple, the word that's most oftenly, often used to describe Christians in the New Testament, we see appear 269 times. Christian is found three times, which is fascinating, isn't it? Now, this is not to say that the word Christian is bad or that it's, it, it's not a good way to describe, describe people who follow Jesus. I wholeheartedly call myself a Christian. I think it's a wonderful word. But the idea that what Jesus was looking for, what he desires, is not people who identify necessarily with a, a moniker, but people who actually follow him. People who, make, uh, people who make both a profession of faith in the person of Jesus, but also people who apprentice themselves at his feet, who take on his way of life, who attempt to do what he did. Now, to be totally honest with you, this is kind of a repetitive topic for me. If you've been with us for any number of time, you've probably heard me cover this idea a couple of times, that to be a follower of Jesus is to take on his way of life, to follow him, to pursue his way to apprentice ourselves before him, to become his disciple. And though I've, I, I know I cover this topic fairly regularly, I am just absolutely convinced that the invitation of Jesus to everyone, to everyone, whether you are a follower of Jesus in this place this morning or not, is to become his follower, to become his follower, to become his disciple. And this invitation, the same invitation that he gives to Peter and Andrew on a Galilean beach is the same invitation that kind of echoes down through the centuries to us this morning. It is an invitation to be his people in the world. But too often, I think we take that invitation for granted. Too often, I think, we look to the person of Jesus at and we do not understand all of the ways in which we are invited 
to be his students. I know I often look past it. But I think the invitation of, the first, the, of Jesus to these first disciples in our teaching text this morning is incredibly instructive for us and can help us both hear with our hearts and understand with our minds a little bit more fully what it means to follow Jesus. So, this morning, we're going to dive right in. Sound good? Yes, it sounds good. You can talk back to me a little this morning. It's good. So, in our teaching text for this morning, Jesus comes to a lake a Galilean lake, a lake called Gennesaret, where he sees some men fishing, where he sees some men fishing. Now, this is not fishing like we understand it today. My father took uh, my son and daughter out fishing two weeks ago up at Clear Lake, and they caught nothing, right? But they did that with a rod and a reel and a, and a bobber and a worm, right? But fishing on, in, in the first century in the Galilee was quite different. It happened with nets and with boats. It was a big ordeal. So Jesus goes out and he sees these men fishing, these, what uh, amount to professional fishermen. And Jesus' reputation at this time is starting to spread. People are already starting to know who he is. But he is on the lookout for disciples, for followers, Now, this is a common thing for any rabbi in this day. A rabbi was not a rabbi unless they had followers, unless they had disciples, unless they had people that they were training. And so Jesus, though his reputation is spreading, so much so that this passage tells us that he has to get in a boat and kind of push out from the shore to teach all the people that are gathered around, which if you live in a time where they don't have uh, voice amplification, being on a lake is a great way of being heard on on a boat. But Jesus gives this teaching, and he, the text tells us that he actually pushes out from the shore on Peter's boat, on his fishing boat, which is interesting. And after he gets done teaching, he says this very interesting thing to Peter and to the other, disciples, the other future disciples who were with them. He says to them, push out into deeper water. Push out into deeper water, which is a kind of amazing phrase, isn't it? Jesus is going to give these men these experienced fishermen, these, these men who know what they are doing, a little bit of a fishing lesson. And now what you need to understand in the ancient world is that this, any trade that anybody had was a family business. It was something that was passed down from father to son, from father to son, from father to son. These men who were fishermen on this day had probably been doing this for four or five generations. They knew their trade, they understood what they were doing, and they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had not caught fish all night and they were not going to catch fish during the day. But yet, they obeyed Jesus. They obeyed Jesus. They do what he says. They push out into deeper water Uh. But they still, Simon, who is later the Apostle Peter, still offers up a little bit of a, of a fight. And he says to Jesus, in verse, uh, uh, beginning in verse 5, Teacher, we have worked all night and have caught nothing. But because you told me to, I will let down the net. Right? This is, this is what your children do when they're like, Dad, I've cleaned the basement. But because you told me to, I will go pick up my Legos that are all over the floor. Right? When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to break. They called to their friends working in the other boat come and, uh, to come and help them. And they came, and so their friends come out in their boats, and they load the fish into their boats. And even the boats of their friends begin to sink because they had caught such a haul of fish. 
Now, there is, there is a kind of beautiful symbolism here, isn't there, when you read this? There are all these, there are all these beautiful ideas floating around this miracle. This miracle can be interpreted to be about trusting Jesus, right, and doing what he says. It could be about pushing out into deep water and all the things that could mean in our life. This, this little miracle story could be about obedience to Jesus and how often when we listen to his voice and when we do what he says, we, he can do through us more than we can ask or imagine, right? But here's the point this morning. Peter is stung to the heart by this miracle. His response is not awe and wonder. It is repentance. Notice this. Peter Peter responds by falling to his knees before Jesus. When he sees the work that Jesus has done through them, he says this in verse 8. When Peter saw it, he got down at the feet of Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. Jesus probably made them like a month's worth of money here. And Peter's response is, get away from me. Something about Jesus causes Peter to repent and place himself at Jesus' feet. There's something about what Jesus does to Peter here that causes him to both repent and place himself at Jesus' feet. Because for Peter, something holy has just taken place. Something that would ultimately alter the trajectory of his life. And the way Jesus responds is beautiful. Because he doesn't respond with condemnation. He also doesn't disagree with Peter, right? He allows him to repent. But he, but he does not respond with condemnation. He doesn't respond with a smart Alex statement about how you should have trusted me, right? He responds with compassion to Peter. And he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. When they came to land uh, with their boats, they left everything and followed him, verse 11 says. Basically, Jesus says, oh, Peter, we're just getting started. You think that miracle was cool? Wait till it's people. And I like to think that in Peter's mind... Just three years and some change later, his mind went back to that very day on that very shore in the Galilee. When on Pentecost Sunday, Peter is standing before a great multitude of people and he makes this proclamation that Jesus is the crucified and resurrected Messiah and 5,000 people give their lives over to Jesus in the blink of an eye. I like to think that Jesus' mind went quietly back to that moment when Jesus says to him, Just wait till it's people. The fulfillment of Jesus' words to Peter happens three years and some change later on the day of Pentecost. The coming to fruition of Jesus' promise to Peter stands right before his eyes three years later. The fulfillment of Jesus' promise to him is that his life will be on a different trajectory, that something else will happen to him, and that what will happen is both miraculous and beautiful and awe-inspiring and really inexplicable. And that same invitation, that same invitation that set Peter on this amazing trajectory in his life, and set the other disciples on that, that trajectory as well. I believe is open to each of us. 
the very last uh, verse of our teaching text today, verse 11 says, when they came to the land with their boats, they left everything and followed him. And the invitation for you and for me this morning is to follow Jesus in exactly that same way. And so from this text, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We can look at this story and this miraculous story of what it means to follow Jesus. And what does it mean actually for us to follow Jesus? Because we can place our faith in Jesus and that is important and necessary. And you can't follow Jesus without falling down on your knees before him in repentance. But there is this posture of a student that all followers of Jesus are supposed to take in and upon themselves. And so how do we do that? What does it look to, uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus? First, it just means we take up Jesus on his invitation. We take up Jesus on his invitation to follow us. The, and the first thing that it means is that we learn to trust Jesus in the same way that the disciples learned to trust Jesus. We must find Jesus to be a kind of reliable source of information for us. Now, this sounds funny. Jesus is a reliable source of information. But we live in a day and age that is skeptical of authority and really skeptical of all information. We li- our postmodern context has made us incredibly suspicious of anyone claiming to know the truth, hasn't it? We don't want to trust the government. We don't want to trust medical professionals. We don't want to trust professionals. We don't want to, or professors. We don't want to trust our parents. We don't want to trust our pastors. There you go. I just want to throw myself in there. We are quick to call anything that does not line up with our opinion fake news, right? And we think that the only truly reliable way to move through life is to form our own opinions and define our own truth. This is what we are told in our culture. But that turns out to be completely unreliable. it's, It's a completely unreliable way of moving through life. Because regardless of whether we we know it or not, we all believe someone. We all follow someone. We all attempt to emulate someone. We all take the authority of someone's life into our own hearts. Uh, very, we all pattern our lives after someone. When I was in college, Ashley's best friend had a brother. He was a few years older than us. And I thought he was the coolest guy I had ever met. He worked at a coffee house. It was a very cool coffee house. He, was, he had a very cool beard. He was 19, but it was full and it was beautiful. I think he was the very first person to ever wear, use beard oil. I don't know. He wore cool jeans. He designed his own cool tattoos. I thought he was great. <laughs> and every time Ashley and I and Ashley's friend hung out, I would just pepper Jesse with questions about her brother. Like, what's your brother doing today? Uh, How is he so cool? How can I be like that? Right? And as you can see, it worked. Right? I wanted to be like him so badly. I just thought he was the coolest guy I'd ever met. I wanted to emulate him. I wanted to live like him. I wanted to have the same vibe as he had, which was never going to happen. Uh, But subtly or not, I, I wanted to follow him in some way. I wanted to pattern my life after someone. And we all do this, don't we? We all pattern our life after someone. We all see someone and want to emulate them. We all follow someone. 
And in our culture now, it's YouTube stars or musicians or politicians or TV personalities, video game streamers. I don't know what it is for you. But all of us pattern our lives after some, t- some person or persons. It's just these people don't necessarily make such an explicit ask on us like Jesus does. But, but don't get confused. They most certainly influence us, and we most certainly trust them as an authority in our lives. It's just that when Jesus gives us an invitation to follow him, he is asking us to trust his authority, to emulate his life. And this sounds strange, but to be a Christian is someone who is, to try, who is trying their best to be a student to the person of Jesus, who literally tries to do what he does and say what he says. It's crazy, but it's true. And at first, this feels like kind of loose-fitting clothes, I think. I've known people who have come to faith and without much of a context for faith and they begin to try to do the things that Jesus does and act like Jesus act and talk like Jesus talked and I always find it really encouraging. But at first, attempting to live the live the life of Jesus feels ill-fitting. It feels ill-fitting. But over time, it forms us into his disciple, his student. When I was writing this passage, when I was writing this message, I was uh, sitting at Sidecar Coffee and a Mumford & Sons song, song came on. Does anybody know who Mumford & Sons is? Anyways, in their first album, they, there's this chorus that goes through one of their albums. And it was actually as I was typing this message. And it just says, lead me to the truth and I will follow you with my whole life. And there's, in some sense, this is a great summation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That when, as Jesus leads us to the truth, we respond with this followership mentality, this mentality that says, I'm going to put on the character and the manner of being that is Jesus, to follow him with my whole life, to apprentice myself before him, to do what he did, to say what he said, to be like him. This was, in essence, in the first century, the job of of a disciple, any disciple of a rabbi, saw it as their primary responsibility to kind of become little rabbis, little versions of the rabbi that they followed. And in that same way, Christians in our day are called to become little versions of Jesus out into the world, people who are like him, who take on his manner of life, who walk through life with his same power and authority, who trust him even when it doesn't seem like trusting him or doing what he says is the right thing to do. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow him, I think is the first implication of our text for today. And the second thing I think we can derive from our text today is simply that Jesus' invitation to followership leads people towards the world and not away from it. Jesus' invitation leads people towards the world, not away from it. Notice that when Jesus says, follow me to the fishermen, he is not calling them away to some little monastery somewhere in the mountains right? He is calling them to follow him, yes, but he is saying that as they follow him, they will be called into the world of people and not away from it, right? And as followers of Jesus, we will become fishers of men. We were called to the world. You see, when you follow Jesus with your whole heart, he will inevitably lead you out of your own self-centered life and into a life that is lived 
expressly for other people. This is what it means to follow Jesus. I love to see people come to faith in Jesus and upon experiencing the grace and love of God, just to see their world expand, not shrink. You see, followers of Jesus live in a world, live in the world for the world's sake. We live in the world, but we live in the world for the world's sake. We do our jobs, we live our lives, we uh, cultivate families and do all of these things in the world for the sake of the world. Followers of Jesus don't just go to work for a paycheck. We go to work for the sake of the world, for the sake of the people we rub shoulders with. Uh, last year, back in Sioux City where Ashley and I grew up, there was a, there was a gentleman, his name was Mike Rogers. Uh, Mike was a longtime middle school principal at, at West Middle School uh, back in Sioux City. And Mike uh, succumbed to a battle with cancer last year, and they had his funeral. Uh, Mike was a longtime uh, Sunday school teacher. Uh, I just remember all these times of all the boys in my Sunday school class just giving him so much grief, just so much grief, and him just always patiently and peacefully like dealing with it. But Mike was this incredible person. He was this incredible person. And at, and at his funeral, they were going to hold it at the West Middle School gym, but they actually had to move it to the, I think it was the East High, no, they had to move it to a, a convention center because this place was just packed with people. Thousands and thousands of people came out to this man's funeral. You see, he wasn't just a, he wasn't just a middle school principal to so many people. He was, he was a follower of Jesus who saw his calling as a middle school principal to be for the sake of the world. He wasn't just executing a job. He was doing something transformative for the sake of the kingdom of God. And the truth of the matter is, is that every single one of us is called to that same type of impact. Every single one of us in our place of work is called to work in that place, not for our own selves, but for the sake of those who are there. And to follow Jesus is to not shrink back from the world, but rather to be called to it. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done, their, they have done the best they could, no doubt. But this is an age of spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in their spiritual character and power. The greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. Too often we've pitched our message too low. It's been about my individual soul and what happens to me when I die, which is a part, most certainly, a big part of it. But the message of Jesus is a call to follow him, and it is salvation for the individual, but it is a call outside of oneself towards the world. And we see this call manifest itself in the life of the disciples. These men who began their lives as fishermen in a backwater town in a small part of, of the Middle Eastern world become these giants of the church. Peter, you know, he's named the Apostle Peter, St. Peter. He wrote books of the Bible. He made all kinds of mistakes in public. And he also did all kinds of beautiful kingdom things that led to thousands of people being transformed by the love of God. 
And it all begins with that simple step of following. Of following. For Peter, it all began with that simple step of repentance, of falling down at Jesus' feet, and then choosing to follow. And then being led by Jesus through the highways and byways of Jerusalem and Judea until he was able to find his purpose as a disciple, as, a, as an apostle of Jesus. And for some of us, the idea that God could use our lives in any way to do anything even remotely as powerful as he's used other people seems like an impossibility, doesn't it? Like, what, what could God do with me? Like, I'm just a person. But the truth of the matter is, is that the transformation of our lives happens at the feet of Jesus as we follow him and do what he did and say what he said and learn what Eugene Peterson calls the unforced rhythms of God's grace. To learn what it means to follow Jesus and to be his people for the sake of the world is the calling of every one of our lives. And it will inevitably enlarge our lives in ways that we're not even aware of right now. So if you come away with anything this morning, if you come away with anything, it's, it's just this encouragement. Follow Jesus and see what he'll do. Follow Jesus and see what he'll do. You'll be blown away. Would you stand with me? I'm aware that in a room this size this morning, uh, that there might be somebody who wants, uh, who the Holy Spirit might be working on. There might be some people who the Holy Spirit is working on and saying, yeah, I got to follow Jesus. I haven't followed Jesus before. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, we just want to create a little bit of space here this morning. And if there's anyone in the room this morning and you've never committed your life to follow Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, you're the Lord and Savior of my life. I repent of my sins and I want to follow you. We just want to give you, a, we just want to give you an opportunity this morning, this morning to, just, uh, to just acknowledge that. So if there's anyone in the room that wants to follow Jesus this morning, just by the sign of an upraised hand, you're just saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to follow Jesus. And so if there's anyone, you can just raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you just raise your hand, acknowledge that. All right, good. Good, good, good. And the second thing this morning is just for all of us. For those of you in this place who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, who call yourself a Christian, and you are, but you want to step more deeply into what it means to follow Jesus this morning. Maybe you're in this place and you're going, what's my life ever going to amount to? What is, what is God ever going to do through me? How are we going to get anywhere with this thing called my little life? And the invitation of Jesus to you this morning is simply to follow him. Simply to follow him. Simply to lay down your ideas and your agenda and simply to go where he goes and do what he does. And this morning, as we close, I just want to pray for you, that you would give your life over more fully this morning to Jesus, that you would recommit yourself to apprenticing yourself at Jesus' feet to be his disciple. And as you follow him, you'll see all of the beauty of the kingdom come to life 
as he calls you to the world for the sake of others. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you've called us to follow you. And we take up that call today, God, to be your followers in the world. And we pray, Father God, that as we follow you in this way, in the world, that you would begin to do things with our lives that we never expected. Father, would you help us to come back to a sense of our our dependency on you as your disciples, as your followers. And as we go from this place today, God, would we recommit our lives to follow you out in the world for the sake of others? And would we be astonished, simply astonished, by the work that you do in and through us for the sake of your kingdom? And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 